This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 363. So today is Sunday, July 30th, 2023. And as usual, I'm covering the latest news stories from Petapixel that caught my eye for this past week. Now, before we get started, I did want to let my listeners know I've decided to pare things back a bit, and I'm going to go back to doing only one episode a week on Thursdays. Um, I've just got too many other things going on with the YouTube channel and the day IT job and, and all these other things going on. I just don't have the time to do two episodes a week. So from now on, what I'll do is on Thursdays, I'll talk about a, a major topic or some weeks I'll have a guest that I'll interview. And on the weeks when I talk about a topic, um, I'll do a two part show where the first part will be talking about the topic, and then the second part will be photography news, where I will touch on a few stories that caught my eye for that week, and I'll just give you the summary of the story and my personal thoughts. So we'll see how things go doing it that way. So that'll be starting this coming Thursday. So today will be the last Sunday episode for the time being. All right, so let's head on over to Petapixel and see what they have for us today. Photographer begs Nikon to add multiple exposure raw capture back. Fine art photographer Sanda Bartucci uh, Tochi ha, is an expert with multiple exposure techniques. For some reason, Nikon Z cameras are significantly worse for multiple exposure photography than Nikon's DSLR cameras to the degree that Bartachi has started a petition in hopes of encouraging Nikon to address the problem. For a long time, Nikon DSLR cameras allowed photographers to use in-camera multiple exposure mode and save the composite image as a full-resolution RAW image. Nikon Z mirrorless cameras have removed this option, forcing photographers to save the output as an 8-bit JPEG. Quote, for as long as cameras have existed, photographers have been able to use multiple exposures to create creative images. The combination of imagery, the overlay of structures, the fascinating addition of different elements of the image are important tools in artistic photography. This has always been possible in both analog and digital photography with SLR cameras, explains Bartachi in her Change.org petition. While multiple exposure photography is admittedly a niche photography specialty, it maintains a small but enthusiastic group of supporters. Bartacha's petition has reached nearly 630 signatures at the time of publication, with over 140 people having signed it just today. Nikon digital SLR cameras since at least the D200 allowed photographers to capture multiple exposure raw images. That spans many APS-C and full-frame cameras with diverse image sensors. Why did Nikon remove this feature from mirrorless cameras? Petapixel contacted Nikon for comment, and Nikon's official stance on the matter is as follows. Quote, 
While we can't comment on future releases, we will always consider customer feedback for development of products and features. Petapixel asked Nikon why the ability to capture multiple exposure photos in RAW format has been removed from Z cameras, but Nikon did not directly respond. Speaking to Petapixel, Bartacha explains that with the Z6 and Z7 cameras, there is a workaround that allows photographers to save the output file as a 16-bit TIFF, which she says, quote, is still not the best solution as you constantly need the file format when shooting. However, she adds that Nikon has removed this workaround with the Z8 and Z9. Save for that tedious workaround, the only option photographers have when using multiple exposure mode on Z cameras is to save the composite output image as an 8-bit JPEG file. Individual photos that comprise the composite can be saved as RAW files, which is nice, but ideally photographers could save the output as a RAW file as was possible before. Many people, especially those who are not multiple exposure artists themselves, may wonder what the problem is. Why not just Photoshop and combine RAW files? Quote, the argument that those single RAW files are easily combined with Photoshop isn't so easy either, Bartacha tells Petapixel. Quote, as I understand multiple exposures, two underexposed frames would be layered as negative multiply to form a correct exposure. Photoshop might work for two or three files, but I don't get how you would do 10. At least, I'm missing proof so far. Either way, I would like to spare that time in just getting the option back, which has never been a problem before, Bartacha adds. Quote, the argument that images can also be combined in post-processing on the computer misses the spontane uh, spontaneous and creative moment that photographers around the world value when using this function. It is not about the nostalgic simulation of a function from analog times that has long since become redundant, but about the creative process at the photo location, the magic of trial and error, and the exciting momentum of coincidence that stands in contrast to the perfectly arranged composing on the computer. It is, therefore, about the magic of photography itself, Artache explains in her petition. This is an important point because even if Photoshop were a perfect substitute from a functionality perspective, which Bartacha thinks it isn't, post-processing will never be able to replicate the workflows that in-camera processing features enable. As evidenced by popular cameras with retro-inspired styling and many dials, which are arguably slower than custom function buttons for adjusting settings, photographers care about the experience of photography a lot sometimes even more than the results themselves. The multiple exposure mode in Nikon cameras allows photographers to choose between three overlay modes, add, average, lighten, and dark. In the add mode, exposures are overlaid without modification and gain is not adjusted. In the average mode, gain is adjusted before exposures are overlaid, and the gain for each exposure is equal to one divided by the total number of exposures taken. Rounding out the modes, the camera compares pixels in each image and uses only the brightest in the lighten overlay mode. Unsurprisingly, the darken mode is the opposite. Only the darkest pixels are used. Quote, during the shooting, combinations and creations emerge that reflect the emotion of a location or the feeling of a fleeting moment. Moods that cannot easily be reproduced on the computer. 
On location, the possible options can also be better assessed and further developed, which contributes significantly to the coherent final result. While Nikon itself did not explain why its mirrorless cameras have omitted a feature that was long available in Nikon DSLR cameras, photographers do not seem to have much by way of explanation either. Quote, it's unclear why Nikon only saves multi-exposures as JPEGs in the mirrorless cameras. The decision to do this seems completely arbitrary, Bartacha says. It does seem that Nikon's cameras are certainly powerful enough to deliver her requested feature. Nikon Professional Services in Germany, where Bartacha lives, tells her that they have no explanation either, as they believe that Nikon Z cameras should be capable of offering this feature. To Canon's credit, as Bartacha points out, some Canon EOS R series mirrorless cameras can save multiple exposure composites as RAW files. For example, the popular EOS R5 and R6 cameras can do it. However, the Canon EOS R6 Mark II cannot. Some people speculate that it has something to do with extensive in-camera lens correction applied in mirrorless cameras. However, if that is the case, that should also have been true of the R5 and R6. However, to add some weight to this explanation, when using the multiple exposure feature on Canon cameras, some lenses prevent the mode from being used, according to Bartacha. Petapixel also reached out to Canon to comment on this story, even though the petition concerns Nikon Z cameras. Canon USA's substantive response is as follows. Quote, it's true some previous cameras were able to capture multi-exposure in-camera in RAW with some lens restrictions. Not all lenses were supported. However, with the new models such as the EOS R6 Mark II, this feature only allows for JPEG capture. In order to support some of the EOS R6 Mark II improvements, this feature for multiple exposure capture in RAW could not be achieved. Canon recognizes it's a requested feature and will continue to listen to the valuable feedback customers provide. So, lenses do seem to be involved, but it's not clear specifically which Canon EOS R6 Mark II feature prevents the ability of in-camera multiple exposure raw images. Quote, multiple exposures taken in-camera are, as such, a very niche thing. It is primarily used by photographers as a creative tool. They want to do it in the field and want to have a high-quality file that allows for further adjustments, printing, etc. Many ICM photographers use it, Bartacha says. Again, this is not some throwaway feature, even if that is precisely how Nikon treated it in the transition to mirrorless. Bartacha says that she had heard from some photographers that they are not upgrading to a mirrorless camera because of this issue. She knows of others who have switched to Canon, although that move could backfire if future cameras go the way of the R6 Mark II. She has also heard about people who want Nikon's exciting Z cameras, but will not buy one because this feature is unavailable. While these are anecdotal reports and not full-fledged surveys, they hit on something important. It is a feature that people want. It is a feature that was previously available, and there is no obvious reason why it cannot be brought back. As Nikon tells Pitapixel, the company listens to customer feedback. Through firmware updates, Nikon has delivered many significant improvements and new features to existing Z cameras. In some cases, the changes are vast. Perhaps this is another instance where Nikon can cater to its customers and add or bring back, in this case, a requested feature. 
Photographers interested in joining Bartach's cause can sign up on change.org. It is important that people's voices are heard, and it does seem like Nikon is listening. And I must commend her for taking up this subject, and I don't blame her. It always seems strange to me anytime a camera company just suddenly removes a feature or capability of their cameras, especially if it's one that they've had for many years. And being that most all of Nikon's DSLRs could do this, why would they not offer it as an option in their mirrorless Z bodies as well? It would just make a lot of sense. It just isn't worth the effort to put a drone in the air anymore. Drones are not nearly as exciting nor popular as they were just a few short years ago, as a combination of laws and incremental updates has made the flying them feel like too much effort for not enough payoff. Don't get me wrong, drones are still incredibly fun to fly, but the rules and regulations now required to legally do so, thanks mainly in part to a few pilots who put their drones into dangerous situations and ruined the hobby for everyone, simply ask too much of me. I love the perspective that a drone offers, but I just can't be bothered to check all the regulations of my area. Find the one place I'm allowed to fly and drive out there while carefully making sure I'm not violating any rules, not to mention bearing the cost of the thousand plus dollars it takes to get the nicer drones that would even come close to making that effort worthwhile. We have some really talented artists on staff at Petapixel, but we've started to turn down interesting projects and products that relate to drones simply because they're not feasible. For example, we recently were asked to check out some high-end filters for long-exposure landscape photography that were compatible with DJI's latest Mavic drones. But no one on staff could find a place that they felt inspired to shoot near them that also would allow them to fly without having to go through a huge pile of paperwork and legal red tape. It just isn't worth it. Even if we did manage to find a place we could reasonably fly, there wasn't anything there worth photographing. Beyond that, The Verge put it really well earlier this week. Drones are just getting boring. I remember the last time I was legitimately excited about a drone, and that was in 2018 with the launch of the Mavic 2 Pro. I remember setting up next to a pilot who had GoPro's disaster of a drone and the ease of flight, quieter rotors, and image quality I was able to get put his clunkier drone to shame. A drone, by the way, he never actually was able to get to take off. But now, years later, DJI is basically just competing with itself. There are other players like Parrot or Altel, but the market has been overwhelmingly cornered by DJI to the point that it can't even make drones that are that much more compelling than the last few it put out. Sure, the new Air 3 has two cameras instead of just one, but to get there, we had to sacrifice sensor size. Both are significantly smaller than the Type 1 sensor I flew in that Mavic 2 Pro from five years ago. Somehow, all that time has passed, but the image quality expectations of drones has fallen. That seems backwards to me. And that's really where I think I'm stuck. Even if I were to put my drone in the air, would I be happy with the photos I took? I was looking at the samples DJI sent for the Air 3 and couldn't help but feel like they just weren't great. At the very least, they were way noisier than I would have expected. I am not alone here. Interest in drones from petapixel readers has cratered. 
DJI keeps making its drones smaller and adding more on to that tiny chassis, but I think I would be okay with a drone that was slightly or even significantly larger if it came equipped with a much larger sensor. Super 35, micro four thirds, heck, I'd love to see APS-C. Even if it had a fixed lens, give me something with some real photo image quality instead of these tiny sensors that belong on a smartphone. Remember the phrase flying camera? Let's get back to that. In order to fly without registering it, you've got to keep a drone under a certain weight, 250 grams to be exact. And the Air 3 is already too heavy and it is equipped with sensors I mentioned I think are too small. In that case, don't feel like you need to keep making the drones compact. If I, am already, if I already have to go through the trouble of registering the drone and getting a license, make it worth it. I'd be totally fine with a drone that was notably larger if I got way better image quality in return. I know I could always buy an Inspire, but let's be real, I'm not spending $16,000 to do it. And I'm not even saying my suggestions here are the right one. I am just saying that drones are just too much hassle right now, and I don't feel like any of my opinions, or options, I mean, are worth it. To actually make it worth it, I have to jump all the way into the big boy drone pool, and I'm just not going to do that, and I suspect neither are most of you. Clipped Highlights is a free curated weekly newsletter that will be sent out every Wednesday morning and will focus on a few of the most important stories of the previous week and explain why they deserve your attention. This newsletter is different from our daily news brief in that it provides unique insights that can only be found in Clipped Highlights. In addition to unique takes on the biggest stories in photography, art, and technology, Clipped Highlights will also serve to feature at least one photo series or art project that we think is worth your time to check out. So often in technology and imaging space, we focus on the how and not the what. We think that it is just as important, if not more so, to look at the art created by photographers around the world as it is to celebrate the new technologies that make that artwork possible. If this kind of content sounds like something you're interested in, we encourage you to subscribe to the free Clipped Highlights newsletter today. You can read this week's edition right here, no subscription necessary, to make sure it's something you want in your inbox. We'll also make sure to share each edition of Clipped Highlights here on Petapixel, so if you aren't a fan of email, you won't be forced to miss out on this weekly newsletter. And I'm not sure why they attach this to the bottom of this story, but that's the way they had it on the page, so that's the way I read it. Canon has designed a tilting viewfinder for an EOS R series camera. Canon has patented a compact tilting electronic viewfinder that telescopes out from the body and then up and horizontal to the top plate of the camera, allowing a user to look down through it from above. As reported by Abzanet, the patent was published today and describes an electronic viewfinder unit that can be slid out from the backside of the camera body and then tilted up or rotated upward from that pulled out state thereby increasing the degree of freedom in shooting posture. The entire telescoping unit would compress into the area between the sensor and the hot shoe, which requires some degree of miniaturization of parts and intricate pieces, all of which are outlined in the patent. This type of tilting electronic viewfinder would be new to the SLR-style body that current consumer mirrorless cameras use but it actually is something that can be found on the cinema camcorder side of the market. 
For example, the Canon C100 Mark II has a similar tilting mechanism that allows the camera operator to use the eye cup from several different angles, especially useful for video production. It doesn't, however, include the telescoping operation described in this new patent. While there are surely exceptions, and photographers would use it if it was provided as an option, this type of tilting electronic viewfinder isn't something that photographers typically need. That said, Canon could be looking at a way to further bridge the gap between the use cases for its Cinema EOS line and its EOS R mirrorless cameras, specifically in the C-series, such as the EOS R5C. On that note, the tilting seems apt if rumors of an R5C Mark II are to be believed. This week, Canon Rumors was told from a reasonably reliable source that the company is considering a Mark II version of the R5C since the original exceeded the company's sales expectations. The report indicates the product wouldn't be arriving until at least 2025, however. As far as patents are concerned, that amount of lead time between filming or filing and actually seeing it in use on a product would be reasonable. And a telescoping electronic viewfinder that mimics the experience of a Canon full-size camcorder would be right at home on a next-generation R5C. So that's definitely an interesting bit of technology news, and it will be intriguing to see if Canon maybe does implement that in the R5C Mark II. Now I'm going to take a break right here, and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now, back to the show. And we're back. Nikon is telling distributors to tug on the Z8 strap lugs in this report. Petapixel recently reported that several Nikon Z8 owners have experienced broken or loose strap lugs. Since then, a new report says Nikon is asking retailers to test cameras before sale by yanking on the camera lugs with a strap connected. When Petapixel initially reported on the Nikon Z8 strap lug issue, Nikon provided a comment after the article was published saying, quote, we recognize this matter and are currently looking into it. Since then, there have been no official word from Nikon to Petapixel or any public statement to customers regarding a Nikon Z8 recall or special instructions to retailers to test the Z8 strap lugs. However, Nikon Rumors reported that the camera company has informed some distributors to test Nikon Z8 bodies in stock. A separate protected Petapixel source in Europe confirms this. Additionally, Nikon, or, uh, Petapixel has confirmed with a source in the United States that the strap lug issue with the Nikon Z8 is a genuine known problem. Quote, the only info I can give you is that Nikon informs the distributors to test bodies, a.k.a. Yank the lug with a strap connected. Kind of barbaric, I guess. The distributors weren't happy about any of it. I also heard Nikon intends to test units for this flaw specifically when they come back for recall. 
Oh, when they come back for the recall. Petapixel cannot corroborate the report that distributors are unhappy knowing that a recall was actually on the table, but a protected source close to the matter believes that this is a possible outcome. While the idea of retailers and distributors yanking on Z8 camera strap lugs is fascinating, it is worth noting that only one of the two sources Petapixel spoke to verified that Nikon has instructed them to test cameras by yanking on the lugs, and that source is located in Europe. That said, alongside Nikon rumors source, that still leaves two sources who have made that report, although it is not clear if both are from Europe. It is conceivable that different arms of Nikon, such as Nikon Europe and Nikon USA, have been issued different instructions to their respective distributors and retailers. When reached for comment, Nikon tells Pitapixel, we are still investigating. Back to the idea of yanking on camera straps, while this is speculation, it may be that Nikon wants to acquire a much larger sample size about the potential prevalence of the strap lug issue, which again, Nikon itself has acknowledged, although only in a limited fashion. Armed with information from its trusted retailers and distributors about strap lug issue frequency, Nikon could be in a better position to make a more robust statement or even establish a service program or recall as it has done with an issue with the Nikon Z8 lens mount. For that issue, Nikon has made a portal where customers can enter their Z8's serial number to see if their camera is affected. Affected cameras are then serviced for free by Nikon. If Nikon can zero in on precisely which cameras are susceptible to the strap lug issue, that would be a major benefit for two photographers and a significant weight off their shoulders, and not the kind of weight relief that results from a broken strap lug. And I thought this was an interesting story, and I did not realize, honestly that Nikon was using strap lugs on some of their cameras. I thought they traditionally stuck with the larger brackets that are embedded into the body like Canon always has on their bodies. Now, Fuji has always used these strap lugs on all of their camera bodies, and I've never been a huge fan of them, mostly because you have to use these special uh, key ring style rings to attached to the lug and then attached to your camera strap because the center hole in the lugs are far too tiny to get a strap to fit through them to tie the strap directly to the camera body that way. You can update Megadap's new Sony to Nikon ZAF adapter through the camera. Megadap has announced its third-generation Sony E-mount lens to Nikon Z-mount camera autofocus adapter, that ETZ21 Pro. It retains the super thin design but ditches the USB port and now can be updated through the attached Nikon camera instead. The company says that its ETZ21 Pro builds on the foundation set by the previous model, which in Petapixel's review was found to be an outstanding way to dramatically expand the number of lenses available to Nikon mirrorless camera by giving it access seamlessly to the entire massive E-mount optical lineup. Megadab says that the new Adapter delivers the same autofocus functionality and capability while also incorporating mechanical enhancements to offer a more seamless and user-friendly experience. The company says it took customer feedback into consideration to make two changes that it believes significantly elevates the performance of this new adapter. Firstly, Megadap changed how the adapter's firmware is updated. 
when before it was needed to be updated by plugging the adapter into a computer with a USB cable, the new adapter can be updated directly through the Nikon camera. The company doesn't specify if this is done via memory card or through the camera's USB port. Secondly, as a result of the uh, as a result, the company was able to refine the design of the new adapter and the connecting pads that were previously used for USB cable firmware updates has been removed, which makes what was already a very felt adapter even more streamlined to the point that it is even more invisible than the last model and already super thin adapter. It also features a redesigned lens release button that Megadab says should ensure a smoother and more effortless lens detachment action. Specifically, Tamron lens owners will find that the mechanical fittings are better tailored to those third-party lenses. The rest of the features of the latest generation adapter remain including full autofocus support, support for customizable buttons, support for both Nikon full-frame and APS-C cameras, full EXIF data transmission, in-camera lens correction, and the ability to shoot high-speed continuous burst. Basically, the lens will act as though it's on a native Nikon Z uh, body. Megadab says that it has also made sure that the adapter is fully compatible with the Nikon Z8 and Z9 cameras. Now that the Pro version is available, Megadap has discontinued production of the original ETZ21 and will replace it with the new model. The new ETZ21 Pro will cost the same as last year's ETZ21, $249, is available to purchase through Megadap's website. And I think this is absolutely awesome that this third-party adapter manufacturer was able to update their latest adapter to allow firmware updates right from the Nikon camera body. That is definitely cool and amazing. Kodak is indefinitely licensing its brand to the world's largest eyewear company. The Eastman Kodak Company has signed a perpetual licensing, a licensing agreement with Eastlor Luxottica that grants the massive eyewear company exclusive rights to use Kodak's brand for any products or services in connection with its business. Isolor Luxottica, colloquially known as just Luxottica, is a Milan-based eyewear conglomerate and the world's largest eyewear company. It designs, manufactures, and distributes most major eyewear brands. It outright owns brands like Ray-Ban and Oakley, but has exclusive license to make eyewear for a host of other brands, including Prada, Oakley, Blurberry, Chanel, Coach, Tiffany, and more. It even owns multiple retail stores like Sunglass Hut, as well as standalone brand stores by the likes of Ray-Ban and Oakley. Additionally, it owns eyewear eye care facilities like Target Optical, Lens Crafters, and a Pearl Vision, uh, Luxottica also owns iMed Vision Care, a vision insurance organization, making it possible to argue the company is fully vertically integrated from payment method to storefront to product manufacturing and distribution. Luxottica rarely publicly advertises its company as it tends to make consumers feel as though each of the brands and storefronts it owns are independent entities, which provides an illusion of choice. As a result, few consumers actually realize they're buying from Luxottica unless they choose to investigate the situation themselves. 
Now, Luxottica is now considerably expanding its relationship with adding Kodak, a company that regularly licenses out its name for use on a variety of consumer products. Kodak already had a multi-year licensing agreement with Kodak. That's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, but with this new agreement, will allow Luxottica to use the company name and branding permanently. Yeah, I guess that was a misprint. Under the terms of the new agreement, Essilor Luxottica will continue to develop, manufacture, and distribute optical products and services featuring the Kodak brand indefinitely. Quote, Kodak is an iconic brand rich in innovation and trusted by tens of millions of consumers around the world. We are pleased to make this substantial and permanent addition to our brand portfolio and are looking forward to leveraging our innovative, innovative ca capabilities and distribution network to create new opportunities for the grow or for the brand and our customers. Long-term agreements like this one pave the way for our company's growth for many years to come. Paul Dusaliant, Deputy CEO of Acelor Luxottica, says. Currently, consumers can find Kodak-branded lenses and a host of Kodak eyewear frames on the market. Of note, these appear to be wholly devoid of any real tie to Kodak as a company outside of the name lightly inscribed on the sides of the frames. The colors and styles on offer are not distinctly Kodak in any way. The newly expanded licensing agreement will start on January 1, 2024. The value of the arrangement was not disclosed. And I just wanted to touch on this briefly because I thought this was another case of Kodak making some really strange decisions. Um, I mean, Kodak is just basically pimping themselves out these days. They'll sign a licensing agreement with anybody and allow anybody to use their brand and their name on other products that have absolutely nothing to do with photography. And that is just a strange business model, at least in my opinion. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group you can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on instagram facebook and twitter at liamphotoatl if you like abandoned buildings and history you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com all right, that's going to wrap episode 363 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, why not? It's absolutely free. It doesn't cost you anything but a second of your time to hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcatching app. Also, be sure to check out the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel turn on all notifications and check out my latest videos which are released every wednesday and sunday all right that's going to wrap up this one folks i will see you all again on thursday with the new format <music>